You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as the curtain is being pulled up by his entourage and he steps up to the podium, here he is, the one, the only... Oh, we're so glad. Dr. History. <laughs> Did you forget? <laughs> <laughs> Good, morning. Good morning. Good morning, Zeb. Yeah, yeah. Good to be here. Uh, enjoyed the fair and rodeo last week. I always uh, went to the team sorting. I always enjoy watching that. And uh, Was it a marathon this year? No, I think they do. Uh, they used to do that up in Oakley, and I don't know if they do that anymore. I, I thought maybe it went on till the wee hours. Oh, that. Yes. Uh, I didn't stay. I just stayed for an hour or so, and uh, I enjoy that. Good. You know, you used to do some of that. Didn't I did. You? I used yeah. to do team sorting. I enjoyed it, and yeah, it does go till like twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So, and now that you're <coughs> elderly, that's tough. <laughs> I go watch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you brought, I got to compliment you, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you walk at, watching at home on the other camera on our zebbell.com, he brought a smaller book, and I can see him. <laughs> it's about half as big as one I had last week. <laughs> Have you got any thank yous this week? Yes, I do. I want to say hi to James, who lives up in Genesee, Idaho. And I was gonna up, look- isn't that up by Rigby? You know, I think it's farther north. I was going to look that up. Oh, I, okay. I've heard of the town, but I can't remember exactly where it's at. Oh, but okay. anyway, he's been listening for a couple of months, and he made a comment a, few, a while back. I talked about quail netting, where they use nets to net quail. I remember that. And he made a comment that it is it, it was illegal in 1900. Really? So, so, so quail were, netting was illegal. You were advocating something that was against the law. No, no, I just told about it. Oh, I see. I didn't say go do it. Okay. All right, so Zeb, we're going to talk about the townspeople, some of the challenges that they had back in the back in the old west you know there was a uh, few new towns were lucky enough to track the full array of skills and talents that uh, they were used to back east and in fact one newspaper said what we want most is mechanics now when i say mechanics it's different than what you're going to think oh. the kansas weekly herald said in 1854 at a time when the word mechanic was used to describe any skill 
skilled artisan. He said, quote, we have several kinds, but not enough of them. We have not got a saddler, shoemaker, tailor. Saddler, you mean like saddle maker? Saddle maker, I yeah. See. Shoemaker, tailor, cabinet maker, hatter, or milliner in the place. And those were called mechanics. Yeah, and that's what they referred to them as, as mechanics huh. back then. So, But, you know, given the lack of specialists, the townspeople often had to settle for uh, what you call second-rate work, second-rate work from untrained practitioners of all kinds. And we have that today. <laughs> when newspaper man Thomas McNeil arrived in, you're going to like this, in Medicine Lodge, Kansas, by stagecoach in 1879, he needed a shave. Uh-huh. And so he went in search for the town barber. He was directed to a man in the livery stable, got there. The man, putting aside his horseshoeing implements, the, quote, alleged barber, stropped a razor on his boot. You know what that means? I Sh- do. Sharpening yeah. his, uh, on his leather boot. He seated McNeil in a chair. This sounds scary. Bent the customer's head back over his knee. I'm not liking Lathered this. him up. Scraped away the whiskers and grime with a few impatient strokes <sighs> and charged him 15 cents. Okay. Could have cut his jugular vein. Well, I'm thinking, how sharp really was that? And maybe you didn't want it real sharp. I don't know. You know, you bring up a good subject, though. In the Old West, was it because they didn't carry razors or whatever? The most guys wore beards? I think so. And just the inconvenience. Of, oh. You know, they they don't want to shave. There's a lot of the movies of the Old West, like Clark Gable, when they're running those cattle, the movie called The Tall Men, mm-hmm. he shaved every day. Yeah, and I suppose some did, and probably the military guys, a oh. lot of them probably did. Yeah. But, you know, of all the shortage of skills, the one that affected Western towns most was the scarcity of qualified doctors. A lot of the practitioners who arrived in the frontier were there because they weren't necessarily that successful back east. Uh, oh, so we're getting second right. Well, but on the other side of that, there were some very, very, very good doctors. And I'm going to mention those here in a minute. Oh. Um, but uh, even capable men did not always find greener pastures beyond the Missouri. A Western doctor was expected to minister to the surrounding countryside as well as to his town. And because of the great distances between the patients uh, out in the country and the general shortage of money, a lot of doctors found it impossible to make a living and a lot a lot of times they actually turn to other uh, pursuits. Other Who's jobs. the most famous doctor in TV history? Uh, Doc Holliday, maybe? No, no, Doc Adams on Gunsmoke. Oh, yeah, Doc Adams, yeah. But, you know, the need for medical practitioners, uh, it was great. The health of the western townsmen was threatened. I mean, think about it, the poor sanitation. Uh, a lot of communities got their drinking water from the sloughs, which is like a swamp, Ooh, wow. you know, uh, or polluted streams. Sewage was sometimes piped directly into the streets. The droppings of horses and of wandering pigs and chickens drew clouds of flies. Uh, uh, one time... Well, you're really a good thing to have on before yeah. lunch, you know that? And, and the Yellowstone River at one time was the most polluted river in the West. You're kidding. Because they would just throw dead animals and stuff oh, in, the, no. in the river and let really? it go downstream. And uh, What about typhoid? Well, yeah, we're going to get to that. You know, and you're going to like this too, Zeb. When the wind was right, a traveler could smell a town before he saw it. (laughs) 
The editor of the Wichita Eagle was not exaggerating too much when he reported, quote, a fair sample of what we may expect in the way of variety and kinds of smell and the different thicknesses of the stat- stratas was given last Saturday when it was a little warmer than any previous day this spring. With a stiff breeze flowing from the south, Pedestrians on Main Market and Water Streets, anywhere north of Douglas Avenue, were regaled with quintessence of putrefaction. A tall man who was sitting on the sidewalk said, as he got up and passed through with his nose, that there were 240 distinct and odd smells prevailing then and there. Then they turn serious. They say, this newspaper said, quote, all agree that some sanitary measures are needed and heavy fines should be imposed on those who will throw slops, old meats, Uh, and decaying vegetable matter at their doors or on the street. They just left it out there? (laughs) Well... You know, back in England, uh, oh. I, uh, when I was over there, uh, they'd have like a slope between yeah. the houses, yeah. and uh, you'd have a sidewalk on each side, and then kind of a uh, trough in the middle, and people would just go out and throw it, and it would all flow down to the bottom. Oh. And that was uh, for a while, anyway. My. Now, in the absence of public health precautions, epidemics, which you just mentioned, were inevitable. Time after time, communities were ravaged by cholera, typhoid, diphtheria, pneumonia, pleurisy, smallpox. In fact, an outbreak of cholera in Kansas City in 1855 killed so many people so fast that one woman resident complained that it was impossible to sleep at night because of the hammering of carpenters building coffins. Oh, my goodness. And since, you know, few frontier houses had screens, they they didn't have screen doors and screens on their windows. No, no. Uh, to keep out mosquitoes and other insects, nearly everybody suffered from malaria. Now, you don't think of that as much in the, in the Old West, do you? No. As much as you would like, say, Panama no. yeah. or, or the South. But- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But uh, malaria, they also called it the ague or mountain ale. And in some areas, whole families were wiped out by malaria. Yeah. Holy So that's, again, that's one you don't really associate so much with the the Old West. But, you know, you mentioned the typhoid and everything else. And it's amazing that any of the Western towns, without any kind of sanitary facilities, that they managed to exist at all. Yeah, and, and I'm sure over time they saw the, the the necessity of cleaning things up. They had. To. I wonder who was responsible for leading the charge. I, I'm almost going to guess it was more like the doctors who, oh, who were treating the patients. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and I'm going to talk about that. And perhaps, you know, in reaction to the, the difficulty of their jobs, unfortunately, some of the doctors became alcoholics. It was just too hard to take. And the Dakota Territorial Legislature passed a law making a, it a misdemeanor for a doctor to poison a patient while drunk. Now, I'll be still... 
there's many impressive feats of medicine that were accomplished by doctors who were called upon to preside over, you know, difficult births, perform operations without proper anesthetics on a kitchen table, or remove Indian arrows. Now, that was a procedure that was not taught back east. So the doctors in the West had to learn how to take out an arrow. No kidding. So, And they actually developed techniques where they would uh, get a wire, and they'd put a little loop on the end of that wire. And then they would probe into where the arrowhead was and try to put that little loop over the tip of the arrow and then pull it out. Pull it out. Yeah. Now, certainly... There was not very much of an anesthetic program. Not at all. In fact, Jim Bridger, Dr. Marcus Whitman, pulled one out of his back that had been there for, I think, three years or four years. And he cut it out. He got it out. Cut it out. But, uh, and Bridger was uh, wide awake. Yes. Oh, yeah, just laying over a log. But uh, anyway, even plastic surgery was performed in frontier towns. Plastic surgery? Yeah. Dr. Thomas G. McGee in Rollins, Wyoming Territory carried out 39 separate operations in 1886 and 87 to rebuild a sheep herder's face, which had been partially shot away. He operated on him 39 times. To, to rebuild this guy's face. And again, I go back to the uh, the anesthetics. Right. Uh, and, you know, the, the skill this guy oh. must have had, you know. But, you know, almost as scarce as competent doctors in the new towns were qualified school teachers. In most communities, education was a, kind of a, a tough proposition. Uh, in 1863, for instance, there was a guy named John Adams. He persuaded an educated newcomer to undertake the schooling of his four children in return for room and board, plus the gift of a pregnant heifer, the school begun in autumn in Adam's front parlor with a all he had was a slate, a Bible, and a supply of tattered books that they bought brought from the east. And it wasn't long before there were eight other children in the town that became his pupils. What year was that? Eight, uh, eighteen sixty-three. Wow! So right about the Civil War time. Anyway, you know, as soon as townsmen could spare the time, they built a proper schoolhouse, and often with everyone in the community contributing labor and materials, and hiring a proper teacher was not that easy. Uh, The highest pay was about $35 a month, and there was also a scheme of having a teacher board, what they call board around, from family to family. Oh, I see, yeah. You know, and fairness to this townsfolk decreed that the teacher should stay longest with the families that had the most children in school. Mm-hmm. If you only had one child, you know, should you keep him for a month compared to the guy that has nine or ten? Right, right. So, but the arrangement was kind of a hardship on the teacher since large families usually meant cramped quarters and small portions of mealtime. Now, 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 these teachers, basically, they were on a circuit, if you will, of going from family to family. And staying with them. For and certain. staying with them. Right. So, like, if you had one child, maybe that child might get a very limited education. No, no. The, the, they would go to a schoolhouse. Ah. They had a schoolhouse. But the teacher would stay with the different families. And so, again, if, if you had a lot of kids, you the teacher probably didn't have a very good place to sleep or maybe not that good of food. Yeah. But not surprisingly, most school teachers regarded their job as uh, just a way to uh, stop. And a lot of them were women. And uh, it was just kind of a stop on the way to getting married or maybe going on to some other kind of work. Didn't you tell me one time at one story about a school teacher that if they did get married, they got fired? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I thought. Uh, 
See, I listen. <laughs> I listen. <laughs> so I'll tell you another story. There was a uh, class of students that were, how should we put it? The boys were somewhat rambunctious. Ah, yes. Not like you and me, Zeb. No, no. Perfect angels. Uh, yes. And uh, they had run out several teachers until this next teacher came in, a man, went up to the front of the uh, schoolroom and pulled out his forty-five and laid it on the desk, and he didn't have any more trouble with those kids. Imagine that. Yeah. So, you know, there was ways. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> but, you know, among the other professionals needed by Frontier Towns was lawyers. They could earn anywhere from a few hundred dollars to more than a thousand a month, and Mostly what they did was routine legal work of settling land claims and mining claims, uh, which was the two prime sources of frontier litigation. Now, I'd never thought of that before, but, you know, you get claim jumpers or people trying to to take uh, somebody else's uh, claim. But the only requirements were the applicant uh, to be at least 21 years old, supply evidence of a good moral character, and pass an examination before a judge who usually limited his quiz to a few vague, uh, simple questions because the judge probably didn't have that much training himself. So this is for school teachers? No, no, this is for a lawyer. Lawyer. For a lawyer, yeah. <laughs> and thus we have the problem today. <laughs> whatever, And whatever else Western townsmen lacked, they had an abundance of spiritual guidance. I see. Many church denominations dispatched pastors westward during the area of the era of the town building on the prairies and plains. The Methodists were often first on the scene, but the Presbyterians, the Congregationalists, Baptists, Roman Catholics, and Episcopalians were not far behind. They needed faster horses. They did. (laughs) But a lot of those preachers became circuit riders. Uh Uh, They sometimes managed to squeeze in three sermons and 50 miles on one Sunday. Wow. They they would just ride, you know, from one little uh, place to the next. And did they have their home residence? You know, that's a good question. I I think they probably had a a home somewhere, but then they'd ride these circuits and sometimes be gone for two, three, four weeks at a time uh, and going to these different areas. Now, uh, on one occasion, a flood delayed one Methodist circuit rider on his way to a place called Hog Thief Bend, Nebraska. Oh, that's a booming place. (laughs) I'm sure you've been there. (laughs) And anyway, Hog Thief Bend, Nebraska, where the entire town had got together to celebrate the wedding of the town bell. Now, unwilling to post... only one? uh, Well, I don't know. There may have been more. (laughs) Now, unwilling to postpone the festivities, the guests decided that the sheriff could perform the ceremony just as well. Uh Now, the bride's mother expressed some grave doubts concerning the legality of such a union, (laughs) but was overruled by unanimous vote, and the lawman did his duty. Now, two days later, the late preacher finally arrived and insisted on tightening the knot with a proper religious ceremony. (laughs) And this was in... Uh, Hog Thief Bend, Nebraska. I gotta I love look, that. I gotta look for that the next uh, yeah. time I go through. Yeah, <laughs> but a popular mode of spiritual uplift 
particularly among Methodists, was the camp meeting, usually held in a grove just outside of town and sometimes lasting as long as a week. Really? The occasions attended by both the townsmen and the rural people. I mean, uh, you know, this was considered kind of a double beneficial thing since they combined worship and socializing. And you think about a families that are spread out, well, like Cache County. They're yeah. spread out from Oakley to Malda to Declo, and you have oh, a chance to get together. I mean, this is a chance for young people to meet other young people, and that's probably how marriages yeah. took place. But it was not easy to spread the word, especially in the pre-Civil War days when many churches sent preachers west to preach against slavery. In 1855, the Reverend Party Butler so offended the pro-slavery people in Atchison that a gang kidnapped him, they tarred and feathered him, branded the letter R, which stands for rogue, on his forehead with black paint, and then set him adrift on a raft in the Missouri River. Wow. The parson was rescued, and as he recalled, quote, I pledged I would come back. They pledged that if I did, they would hang me. Well, he did return the next year, and once again, he was tarred, but this time they didn't have any feathers, so they used tufts of cotton. Let me ask you a question. How did they get that stuff off? (laughs) I don't know. Tar, I mean, you think of tar. Yeah, it's going to stick with you, man. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that'd be a tough deal. But, you know, generally, resistance to men of the cloth took a milder form. The first sermon in Bismarck, Dakota Territory was preached in a saloon where a Sunday poker game was in progress. The players were tempted to throw the preacher out, but they concluded that he wasn't doing anything too bad. He was not interrupting the, the poker game, and they even took up a collection of $40 in chips. The proprietor then invited the divine preacher to get into the game and see whether he could increase the Lord's take. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) The minister declined, cashed in the donated chips, and took his leave. (laughs) There you go. I'm still back at the tar and feathering. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So, anyway, that's kind of... But these people of specialized vocations were called mechanics. mechanics. I did not know that. And I didn't either. That's the first time I'd heard that, you know. Huh. so it was just a general term referring to a skilled person of some kind. Really? You know? But uh, it's amazing the the skill of like the the, the guys that built the wagons, the the, oh, yeah. the wagon wheels to get those with the right kind of wood so it doesn't uh, dry out and split and the iron rim come off, you know. And I would imagine a lot of old frontier cities, uh, Dodge City, Cheyenne, whatever, if they didn't have somebody that was going to take up residency there that was a mechanic like a uh, storekeeper or a wheel maker or whatever, somebody just learned and opened up that's probably right or uh, yeah and uh, i think probably they tried to entice people to come really? at some point don't you think they would oh they had to if somebody's coming through and they're a, a doctor or a, or a, uh, make saddles i or would something. imagine that a very important job and i've only got a minute left gunsmithing right yeah i mean you think about browning 
and yeah. uh, all the things that he invented. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing, uh, I mean, his stuff is still being used today. I Somebody believe. had to fix the guns. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of them were just uh, custom made. You know, they weren't uh, made on a, an assembly line. You know, For some reason, I lost my appetite thinking about the old uh, cafes and restaurants in the <laughs> Old West. I don't want to go. <laughs> An interesting situation. You would hope that the smell of the food uh, was better than the smell from outside. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. History. You You did it again, and I always look forward to our segment. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.